That's in the New Testament, right? I think there was too much caffeine in my espresso this morning. I can't separate my pages. Hear this word. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, so that no one may boast. As a flower fades and the grass withers, the word of the Lord stands forever. Amen. I wish to speak to you on a subject this morning of comprehensive simplicity. Comprehensive simplicity. Specifically, the idea of grace alone. Theologians speak often of what is known as the empty hand of faith. As the empty hand of faith to emphasize the fact that we bring no works with us when we are justified but are rather declared righteous before God only by receiving His promise. Yet, this hand of faith is not something we conjure up ourselves. We are only able to exercise faith, according to the Scripture, if God gives that faith to us. And that's what Paul is writing in this passage. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourself. It is the gift of God. The gift is not the grace. The gift is the faith. In the Reformation, there was a term known as sola gratia. S-O-L-A. New word. G-R-A-T-I-A. Sola Gratia. It means grace alone. The biblical definition of grace is much more simple than the modern evangelical understanding of it. It is remarkably simple. I have given you the definition of it on the bottom of your bulletin in the box. This is from Augustine. It didn't print, but Augustine is the one who wrote it. This goes all the way back, 15, 16, 17, no, no. This goes back to 400 years from the time of the death of John the Apostle. <coughs> God's grace is free because it is neither merited nor earned. It is indispensable because it is, a ne it is the necessary condition to for recovery of sin qua non, absolute necessity of salvation. It is indispensable because it is the necessary condition for the recovery of the absolute necessity of salvation. It is prevenient because it comes before a sinner can recover. It comes before a sinner can recover. It is irresistible because it is effectual it accomplished in accomplishing God's purpose and giving it. I'm going to explain this to you because it's something completely new 
to me to explain in my understanding of what it means. It is indefectible because this liberating grace is perfect, it is infallible, and it's unflawed. That's why when I was praying for those of us, all of us caught up in sin, God's grace is indefectible. You say, well, you can't do that and be a Christian. Yes, you can. God's grace is indefectible. The reason people do what they do is not because of the grace of God or the lack of the grace of God. It is the lack of remembering the presence of the Lord and the goodness of God in your life. As as the song says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. No truer words could be said of me. But here I raise my Ebenezer. What is my Ebenezer? His grace. And that makes a sinner want to not sin so much. It is indefectible because this liberating grace is perfect and fallible and unflawed. The gift of grace is linked to God's eternal purpose and intimately tied to His predestinating purpose. This is from Augustine. As Abraham was, is the fountainhead of faith, listen to me. You want to write this down. Abraham is the fountainhead of faith. From him flows Islam. From him flows Judaism. And from him flows Christianity. So too is Augustine or Augustine or Augustine. From him, he is the fountainhead of faith, full theology. The Reformation, the writings of Martin Luther and John Calvin, systematized what Augustine wrote. The Summa Theologica, which is the greatest document ever written outside of the U.S. Constitution. No, it is the greatest document ever written by Thomas Aquinas is based upon Augustine. And it is the teachings of Thomas Aquinas that the Roman church practices its worship with added tradition. No more brilliant theologian ever lived than Aquinas. But it all comes. Augustine is the Abraham of our theology. So... In this context, you have this idea that grace is a gift. And so, first of all, just write this down. In grace alone, it is God who changes our hearts and gives us the ability to have faith. It is God that changes our hearts and gives us the ability to have faith. That is, in our fallen condition, as it says, we are dead in trespasses and sin. We are unable to conform to the Lord's will both inwardly and outwardly. Look at verse 1 with me. And you were dead in transgressions, transgressions and sins. I have not yet seen a dead body come out of a casket. 
Isn't it interesting when you go, our minds are so used to seeing a body respirate that when you go see a person, or a, namely a loved one, in the casket, I remember going to see my father. I surely thought he was breathing. I'd never seen him not breathe. And my dear father-in-law that we just buried, I told the congregation at the end of the worship, come to the cemetery. You will see something you've never seen before at a funeral. Well, what I did was not... I came walking up singing in the garden, a cappella. And someone came up and asked me, they said, well, what was the special thing you were going to do? And being quick-witted, I said, well, Jack was a die-hard cowboy fan, and I had called the cowboy cheerleaders to be here, but they didn't show up. And somebody said to me, he would have surely come out of that grave. <laughs> when you're dead, you're dead. Surely, and you were dead in trespasses and sin in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air and the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. You're seeing that today. You're seeing this happen in Washington and New York and Texas and Austin and Gainesville. You're seeing this happen. And among whom are all, we all also formerly conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, doing, doing the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, rich in His mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with Him, and seated us with Him in the heavenly place in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come... He might show the surpassing riches of His grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. The faith by which you and I are justified, listen, I want you to write this down. You, you students of mine, particularly listen to what I'm saying. The faith by which we are justified is our faith. I want you to understand that. The faith by which we are saved is our personal faith. But it is only because our Creator has given it to us. That is new way of saying what I've been saying for years. You are saved by your personal faith. Your personal faith is yours alone. But it has been given to you by the Creator. And it was given to you by grace while you were dead in trespasses and sin, walking in the lust of the flesh, sons and daughters of disobedience, after the way of the world, sinking, no, drowning, no, flat, smooth, plain out, dead on the bottom of the ocean. So your faith is your faith. It's personal. But God gave it to you by His grace. Because faith does not exist in a dead person. You know my proof of that? Because once you die, you don't need it. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound. 
and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. Why? Because my faith gives way to sight. All of those whom faith has been granted will come to exercise it. Write that down. All to whom faith has been given, it has been granted, they will exercise it. And I want you to see this text. Go over here or write it in your Bible, John chapter 3 verses 1 through 15. For I am the true vine and my father is the vine grower. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away and every branch that bears fruit he cleans it so that it may bear more fruit. We all know this is the season right now for crepe murder. Right? You got to go trim the crepe myrtles. Some, there's a whole divide on this. Do you trim them or not trim them? And so they call it crepe murder. Okay. I don't know if we're going to crepe murder them or not. But whatever Blondie says is what we're going to do. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit unless itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, I in him, bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch, dries up, then gathers them and casts them into the fire, and they are burned. If you hide in me... Abide in me and my word abides in you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by the... And see, abiding in Him and you asking for what you wish, you are going to... If you're abiding in Him, you're not going to be... All you're going to wish is to what He wants. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will hide in my love. Listen, on Tuesday, I'm going to be in the car. I'm going to listen to everything on the news it's going to be such a fiasco coordinating the state, the city, and the, the, uh, the secret service for Donald Trump to go turn himself in. Where he could do it all, be arraigned by the same way they do the drug dealers, by camera. But oh no, we got to have the mug shot on Wednesday morning, which will be the shot, the, the photo that was seen around the world. And I'll tell you, it's going to be the best picture that was, it's the best mag shot that's ever been taken, too. I'm going to be trusting in the love of God. I'm not going to be trying to figure it out. Folks, it's just Satan. Lock them all up. Sorry. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken that you, that so that your joy may be in you, that you and that your joy may be complete. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than the one who lays down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all things that I have that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Now that was John chapter 15, verses 1 through 5. I said read John 3, 1 through 11, 1 through 15. I messed up, doesn't matter. Write down John 3, 1 through 15, but that worked. 
the ability to abide in Christ comes from the faith in Christ. No faith, no abiding. And so write this down. I remember this and it is, I, I, I'm going to tell him when I see him. But when I was a student waiting to get that plus on my A, I acquiesced against the statement I'm about to make. But to Dr. Fish, when I get to heaven, I'm going to tell him you were wrong. But this is the truth. Regeneration precedes faith. You're born again before you believe. Not vice versa. Why? Because you have a personal faith. And you are given that faith by God's grace when you are dead in trespasses and sin. And when that faith is given, it is effectual. And consequently, it takes the dead from being dead to being alive. There's a lot of folks that say they're born again and they're dead. And there's a lot of folks that are born again that think they're dead. And the reality of it is it's because they are not willing to commit their mind to the Scripture. And what does the Bible say? It doesn't say to renew your body. It doesn't say to renew your this or that. It sure doesn't say renew your car warranty. <laughs> Get that? Or renew your Anderson windows. What does it say? Renew your mind. Knowledge of truth. Not renew your belief. Not renew your faith. Not renew your spirituality. It says renew your mind. Most Western Christians today believe they are sinful and that grace is necessary for salvation, but they do not believe evil has so corrupted the will as to make them morally unable to choose Christ. I don't think any of you are in that camp anymore. But when we gathered together the first time 12 years ago, I was in the minority on that and had to be very much undercover. It is the idea, it is up to us, they argue, to assent to the grace and choose Christ for salvation, and we can decide either way. It all hangs upon us. This makes our decision the ultimate arbiter of redemption. We are in the Holy Week of Easter. If we are the ultimate arbiter of our salvation, we do not need cross, we do not need a tomb, and we don't need a Jesus. And we don't need grace. We don't need Christianity. We can practice like a Muslim, a Hindu. We can practice like a Buddhist. We can practice like a Satanist. We can practice like a, an agnostic. We can practice like an atheist. It takes more faith to be an atheist than it does to be a Christian. They even named a holiday after them. April Fools. It was yesterday. It is also the Democrat national holiday too. This makes our decision the ultimate arbiter. Scripture agrees that we need to decide to follow Jesus. The Bible is clear of this. But it says that those whom God gives saving grace will most certainly make that, that decision happen. Only God exercises His sovereign prerogative to give grace to some and not to all. I want you to see this. Romans chapter 9. Let me make sure I read it right. Romans 9. I'm going to turn to Romans 9. 
If, if I'm reading anything else, please stop me. Romans chapter 9, verses 14 through 18, and I really would ask that you highlight this. This is a covenant statement. What shall we say then? Verse 14, Is there any unrighteousness with God? May it never be. Now, he just set him up. No, there's no unrighteousness in God because what's about to be read, an accusation of unfairness is going to be made. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it does not depend on the one who wills or on the one who runs, but it depends on God who has mercy on some and not on others. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I raised you up in order to demonstrate my power in you and in order that my name might be proclaimed throughout the whole world. So then he has mercy on whom he desires and he hardens whom he desires. This is why we pray for the salvation of men. That that hardness will be dealt with. Consider two people that hear the gospel, and then I want to look at this very microscopically, verse 8, and I'll be finished. Consider two people who hear the gospel by the greatest preacher ever, Jesus Christ. They hear the gospel, and only one responds positively. No Christian would say that the one who chooses Jesus is more righteous than the other if that Christian understands the Bible and knows we're dead in trespasses and sin, knows that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life, and that our own righteousness is as filthy rags, and all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No Christian would say that one who chooses Jesus is more righteous than the other, but if both are equally able to make the right choice, Logical consistency then means that the one is saved because he did something good in his decision making. This is the undoing of the American church. Singularly, what I just said. That we have to build a better mousetrap to make them choose to come in. But if a sinner... But if sinners are unable to love God, faith then must be something of a gift, something that is initiated by God who loves us. This is what it means, grace alone. It's all from Him. It's mono. I can't say the word. Monergistic. Monergistic. So look at the verse, specifically verse 8. And I'll wrap it up. For by grace you've been saved through faith that is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. Understanding that sin makes us thick-headed, unwilling to accept certain truths when we receive minimal emphasis, when they receive minimal emphasis, the biblical author repeats the foundation doctrine so that they might penetrate 
our hearts and our minds. Listen to me. Man-made religions of this world prove that without the work of the Holy Spirit, people think that they are basically good and can contribute something to their salvation. Brothers and sisters, let me tell you why this is so dangerous. Write this down. For you to contribute to your salvation is to rob and to strip glory from God. Because you are taking credit for what He has given to you at great cost. We worship Him because we're a called out people. We worship Him in spirit and truth because He changed us and made us alive who were once dead. We all are either the prodigal son or the prideful older brother. We are all the lost coin. We are all have been the lost sheep. But the Father who loved us gave us His only begotten Son. That whosoever will believe shall not perish but have everlasting life. The ability to believe is His gift. When you receive a gift from somebody, when you take possession of it, is it yours personally? Yes? This is yes. Yes. So, Mary Jo, Jean brings coconut pie, and Mary Jo cuts Ralph a piece, and she cuts me a piece. And when no one's looking, she licks her fingers. No, she doesn't. She walked around the whole house the other night covered in chocolate sauce. It's like, just lick it. Nope, not doing it. She is dedicated. Mary Jo, when you die, they're going to say, what did she die? Perfect health. <laughs> but she gives it to me. When it's mine, whose is it? Mine. Your belief, your faith is yours personally. Because at great cost, Jesus Christ made the way for God to give it to you. This is the reason to cry. This is the reason to give glory to God. This is the reason to continue and to keep, keep on. This is the reason to be the city on the hill, to be the light that shines to the world. In the midst of the chaos we live in, we now know what we're going to be hearing the next run up to the general election. We had Benghazi the last time and the and broken, bit-washed iPhones and Hillary and all that stuff. This time it's going to be Trump in jail. And I'd say that when, he's, when he gets his mugshot, he will be elected, the 47th president, 47th president of the United States. In the day he's sworn in, if the Democrats have the House, he will be impeached that moment because he will not be convicted. 
and he cannot be pardoned because this is a state crime. And have you all noticed that the indictment is under seal? Isn't that interesting? That's kind of stuff stripping glory from our nation. It doesn't matter if you're a Democrat or, and you hate Trump or a Republican and you hate Trump. This is terrible because it's proven the two-tier justice system. But whenever you say, you did it, you're no different. You have set up a two-tier system. God has said, it's my work, lest no man should boast. Others say, I boast in it. I have pastored people, none here. None here anymore that boast in their choice. There is nothing to boast about. It is to be thankful for. Because in the midst of the chaos, I know I'm going to be okay. And if I suffer, He will give me the strength to do it because He gave His Son six hours of strength and turned His back on Him. God had never turned His back on anybody before that time. And He endured the cross for you and for me to give us a gift that could be all our own. All belief systems except biblical Christianity encourage us to believe that we can contribute to our salvation even if they deceitfully assert otherwise. You can't. It should have been made clear in verses 1 through 7 that the Lord owes us nothing. Let me tell the story again that I told instead of reading the several passages I have written here that speak about the wrath of God on sinful man. It is a familiar story told by Dr. R.C. Sproul where he goes to the pulpit with his oxygen tank, this brilliant man, sweet, sweet Christian preacher, sniffing on his oxygen, says, and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. He said, if I woke up in the morning in hell, I would say, oh no! Not here! No! God, no! Have mercy on me! I would be weeping. There would be not enough water to make the tears for the solemn sadness I would have for eternity. Begging God for His mercy. Then there's another group of people in hell. There's only two kinds, the weepers and the gnashers. And the gnashers, they won't be weeping. They'll look up and they'll say, How dare you, God! Gnashing of teeth is a biblical metaphor for human rage. 
and in hell. Those who will gnash their teeth will know rage unbounded. Now, I don't want to wake up in hell. I don't. But if I do wake up in hell, having gone to the Lord Jesus and saying, Lord, Lord, have I not done these things for you? Have I not been faithful? Did I finish to the end? Have I, all this stuff, get, James, go away. I don't know you. I tell you this truth. If that were to happen, that I have deceived myself. These 38 years, I have been a born-again believer. If I have deceived myself with the education, the sacrifice, everything to feed the sheep of God and to stay with it when all others have quit, I have deceived myself and my family and my churches. Listen to me. I can tell you this truth. I could look up to heaven and not raise one finger with a just cause against God. Because I am not there because of His cruelness. I am not there because of His injustice. I am there because of His perfect, infinite justice. Because in my life, I have sinned against a perfect, immortal, eternal Creator. I have worshipped myself instead of Him. I have built my kingdom instead of His kingdom. I have used His name in vain. I have elevated my sovereignty over His sovereignty. Brothers and sisters, I deserve it. And I want you to know this. He owes me nothing. And that's what's so glorious about grace alone. That's what's so glorious about grace alone. When you can get your head around it and just choose to quit being thick-headed and traditional and say, you know what, I'm not too old to learn and believe the testimony of Scripture and to say, no, it was by His grace alone. I didn't do anything. When I stand before God and He says, why should I let you into my heaven? I'll say, because He said I could come. I'm not going to say because I trusted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I'm not going to say because I prayed a prayer. I'm not going to say because I have faith. I'm not going to say because I'm saved. I'm going to say because He said I could be here. And He doesn't lie. Don't you know that all the angels in heaven asked that of that thief on the cross that Easter Friday, that, that Good Friday? What are you doing here? How'd you get here? You were just cursing the Messiah. 
and you receive the due punishment for your sin. What are you doing here? I guarantee you. He may have said this part. I don't know. But that guy in the middle said I could come. And he bids you all come. Because it's a gift. Look at verse 10. For we, listen, for we, say we, for we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared those good works for us to do beforehand so that we would walk in them. There are those who say, no, God gives us grace because, and this faith because He knows what we're going to do. No. That would make it dualistic. We would have to be partic- participants. No. He did not save us because He knew what we would do. He gave us the gift so that we might walk in the gifts He has created for us personally to walk in the rest of our lives. And the only way we can walk in them is we have to be in Him. Is this not amazing? This is what and why we sing nothing but the blood. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me White as snow. No other name I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, resolve this Easter and this week. This is my favorite time. Resolve and let it be resolved forever. You brought nothing to it. Nothing. And the love which He had for you, He saved you. And the very belief you have, He gave you. There is no hint of human merit. So consequently, listen to this quote. If on the part of God it is grace alone, and if we bring nothing, of, nothing but faith, we bring nothing but our faith, nothing but our carnal faith, which strips us of all commendation, it follows, I read this wrong. If one part, if, one, if on the part of God it is grace alone, and if we bring nothing but faith which strips us of all commendations, it follows then that salvation does not come from us. This is Palm Sunday.
We are not commanded anywhere in the Scripture to observe any day but the Lord's day. And this is the Lord's day. Even though the song says this is the day, this is the day the Lord has made, every day is the Lord's day, this is the Lord's day. Tomorrow is not. This is the Lord's day. The first day of the week. And all during Palm Sunday they were exclaiming and crying, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And by the next day they were cursing and trying to kill him. Thank God. Even Peter tried to stop it. Peter tried to stop it in the garden. They're holy of holies. Where the living mercy seat would go and pray. He tried to stop it with a sword and cut off the ear of the temple guard Malchus. And the Lord said to him, He who fights by the sword will die by it. And he healed the man that was there to arrest him. Just as I have no doubt he brought into glory the centurion that declared at the death of Jesus Christ, Surely this was the Son of God. Surely as he on that cross said, Forgive them. They know not what they do. Brothers and sisters, we are blessed because we are saved by grace alone. What a freedom. What a blessing. I can fall into sin and know that I can fall out of it because I've been made righteous by the Lamb of God that says a righteous man, though he falls seven times, will arise seven times. All because of our Savior and Lord who came to give us a wonderful gift. The gift of faith. And He paid the penalty. For the Bible says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for our sins. Celebrate this week. Celebrate this week. Tell your family, your lost ones, come home. Just come home. Just come home. Let God do it. It's where I believe some of you grandmas that are praying for your lost grandchildren, you are going to see it in your life. Your life are being preserved to see salvation come. So I know that a fervent, effective prayer of a righteous grandmother also availeth much. So be blessed by these God's holy words.